Ephesians, which is on children and parents. So I'm going to get to preach on that this morning. Um, I might have some insights from the child's perspective, but obviously I don't, I'm not really qualified to teach on parenting. Um, so I'm going to try to stick to what the Bible says about it as much as possible and not offer personal opinions on anything, um, which is difficult for me. Uh, let's read it. If y'all would stand in honor of reading the Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it might go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. Before I get into this too much, uh, it's important for us to realize just how important this command is. Um, the Bible talks about being obedient to your parents all throughout Scripture. Um, and I'm going to read a couple places just so y'all have an idea of how important this issue is to God. Um, in Romans chapter 1, um, in verse 28, uh, where Paul is condemning um, the human race and he lists all of the uh, things that uh, mankind has done. He says, and since they do not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and then disobedient to parents. And he goes on, but he lists disobedient to parents in the same list with evilness, hating God, and even murder. Um, in the Old Testament, we see it even more obviously just how um, serious an issue this was to God um, in the book of Exodus, um, chapter 21, where we see this. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And in verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. The issue was so important to God, it was such a danger to society, that God said, if you have a, parent, a child who won't listen to his parents, just kill him. That's how big an issue it was. Can you imagine if we had a presidential candidate who ran on the campaign of killing disobedient parents, or just disobedient children? That's the difference in the seriousness of the issue that God had in his society versus what we see today. Um, in Deuteronomy, he kind of, he elaborates a little bit more. If a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city and the gates of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This is our son. He is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. It's a very serious issue to God, disobedient children. Um, and I see a couple reasons for that. And I already mentioned the first one, which is that a disobedient child is a danger to society in the sense that um, God or has ordained for the family to be the primary method where righteousness is passed on from fathers to their children. 
And disobedient children, if that's a widespread thing in society, it makes it difficult for righteousness to get passed on from one generation to another. Um, We see that at the end there where he says, all Israel shall hear and fear. The reason that they killed disobedient children was so that other children would realize that this is a bad thing to do and they're not going to do it themselves. It's to discourage the behavior in the future. Um, The other reason, uh, I see this um, in Romans chapter 13. Um, And in Romans 13, he's not talking about being obedient to your parents. He's talking about um, obeying the governing authorities. And he says in verse 1 of Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So he tells them they are to obey the governing authorities. But his reasoning for that is that there's a general principle that all authority is from God, and whoever resists authority therefore resists God. So children who are disobedient to their parents are not only disobeying their parents, they're disobeying and rebelling against God. Uh, And that's another reason we see this is a very serious issue. Um, And this authority we see is the parents by right of their God-given position. It's not on the basis of their own righteousness or anything they do. The the worst parent is just as deserving of honor and respect by their children as the most godly parent. Um, We see this principle um, in four places, really. We see it in the state, like Romans 13. We see it um, in the family with children and parents. We see it in marriage with the wife submitting to her husband. And we see it in the church with um, people submitting to the governing authorities for the churches. Um, and we really see that today Satan has spent the last probably 100 years or so just assaulting the idea of honoring authority, even to the point of just the idea of authority in general, where we live in a culture now which really hates the idea of being under any authority whatsoever. Um, it started a while back with wives who stopped obeying and respecting their husbands. Um, Nowadays, obedience to the government is only done at the point of a gun. Um, And even now, honoring the government is a complete joke. Um, No one honors any government official who they don't agree with. Um, While we see in Romans 13 where he talks about honoring the government when the government believed that they, you know, that Nero was a god. And it was much worse than we see today in that they were still supposed to honor it. Um, children have now lost respect for their parents and only obey when forced, really, which is rarely these days. Um, we just see, we see these attacks on God's design for the family and children. Um, there's a couple um, reasons that we see this happening and that are dif- make it difficult for children to obey today. Um, firstly, we have the fact that children are born as cute little reprobates. Um, children are not born innocent or... Um, With a blank slate, they're born um, evil, just like everyone else. Um, Unregenerate and rebellious, selfish, self-absorbed. They're cute, but they are not um, good in the eyes of God. And we'll see that as we go on. But the point, that's why parents have to um, discipline and lead their children, is because the children, if left to their own, are going to pursue the evil nature that they're born with. Um, we also see that today, as I kind of already mentioned, the government has really um, empowered children's rebellion a lot by taking away the parents' authority um, in legal aspects. Um, I don't know if some of y'all heard about the case of Charlie Gard fairly recently, um, but that's an issue that kind of illustrates this very well. Um, this was a guy, Charlie Gard, he was born last August. Uh, he's an infant. He's, he was an infant. He was about 10 months old, I think. He suffered from an inherited disease called uh, MDDS. 
um, which is extraordinarily rare. It's like um, less than 20 cases have been reported worldwide. Um, most people who have it um, die in early infancy, and Charlie was unable to breathe unaided. He suffered from seizures and had severe brain damage. Um, for 10 months, he had been living in the intensive care unit at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. In March, his doctors decided that there was nothing more that they could do for him, and they recommended that his parents, Connie Yates and Chris Gard, withdraw his ventilator and pull the plug. His parents refused on the grounds that an untried experimental treatment was available in the United States. The hospital, in accordance with British law, however, applied to the courts to forestall that further treatment. And in April, the high court found for the doctors and against the parents. In May, the Court of Appeal upheld the initial decision, and in early June, the Supreme Court agreed. Uh, Charlie's parents had raised enough money from private donations to fund the experimental treatment, but the court's decision prohibited his removal to the United States. Whenever they see fit to do so, the doctors at that hospital can now remove Charlie's life support. According to the honorable judge who presided over the decision, death was in Charlie's best interests. There was no scientific basis for believing that he would respond to the experimental American treatment, and there was a unanimity among the experts that um, the nucleoside therapy cannot reverse the brain damage that the, the boy had. And it was with a heavy heart the judge said that he sided with the doctors. Charlie should be permitted to die with dignity. In conclusion, he praised his pa the parents he had just overruled. Most importantly of all, he said, I want to thank Charlie's parents for their brave and dignified campaign on his behalf and their absolute dedication to their wonderful boy from the day he was born. And so it was that successive courts in the United Kingdom found that Connie Yates and Chris Gard had devoted themselves unhesitatingly to their son's welfare for 10 months and also that they could not be trusted to act in their son's best interests. The president established by that case, we still see, we'll see it metasized, and it, as similar decisions have, it will be made to apply to children with more familiar illnesses and better prognosis. It'll be used to dismiss the input of parents whose values and priorities do not align with the, those of the state, and may be used simply to clear beds for worthier patients in a government-financed health system with very limited resources. We see the government is steadily growing in its power to decide what is best for the children over the parents. And where the parents disagree with what the, the state thinks is right, the state is now beginning to step in to decide things on the parents' behalf for them. Um, perhaps one of the most provocative examples of this is in China. I think it's, um, I don't, it's one of the cities in, China, um, in Canada, excuse me, where the government can take a child away from his home if the parents refuse to accept the child's self-perception as a transgender um, person. I think from as young as the age of three, um, the government can come in and legally take that child away. Uh, North Carolina, in North Carolina, minors can get abortions without parental consent if they get a governmental waiver, uh, which they can apply for without their parents ever knowing. Um, they want the state in charge of the child's upbringing, from everything, from education to nutrition to sexual identity to religion. That's the culture we live in now, where it's really attacking the authority of the parents. It encourages children's rebellion, also, by teaching them that they are special and entitled to whatever they want, we live in a society with child-centered families um, where the child's desires are the overriding concern in how the family operates. Um, child-centered families are chaotic. Um, we know that God is a God of order, but most families today are chaos. What goes on, it depends on the whim. A child can get almost anything they want by pitching a fit. There's no discipline. The home is in shambles. Over 40% of children today are born illegitimately. Um, which causes, we see in children who are born without a two-parent figures, their father and mother, 
Uh, they have worse impulse control, worse grades. They're more violent, more aggressive. They are more prone to criminal behavior. They have a weaker conscience even. Um, the family structure is um, falling apart, and our children are paying for it. Um, and that's the society we live in. And the Bible, the outline the Bible gives for the raising of children, we see is in stark contrast to that today. Um, let's look at that now. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where I'm going to start for that. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And we're going to see here the first responsibility of parents is to be constantly instructing their children in the law of God. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God had instituted in Israel for parents to be teaching their children the law of God all the time, every situation you're in should be an opportunity to show your children uh, God's love, God's law, um, and how they're supposed to behave. He, he, lists, he, he just says everything you're doing. You shall teach them diligently to your children when you're sitting in the house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you're sleeping, when you rise. It should always be on your, the forefront of your mind, and you should be looking for every opportunity uh, to bring it up with your children. Um, we see this also in the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend a few minutes in Proverbs. Proverbs talks a lot about um, the raising of children. It gives us a lot of insight into exactly um, what we see. In Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verse 1, he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your eyes keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And we see here the the collary, I don't remember how that word's pronounced, um, Parents have a responsibility to teach their children the instruction and law of God. But children have a responsibility to heed their parents' instructions. And that's what we see here. Uh, do not forget their teaching. That's the, the child's responsibility is to be obedient to what their parents say, to honor their parents um, when their parents instruct them in the law of God. It's the child's responsibility to follow that instruction. Um, that brings up the obvious question of um, what to do when your children are disobedient. Um, we see, if you remember, we looked at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21 earlier, uh, where it talks about the punishment for disobedient children. I'm going to just make another point from that. Uh, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline, will not listen to them, then that all the men going down, all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. But it's, the verse there, it says, though they discipline him, they will not listen to him. It's assumed there that the parents will be disciplining their children. And if the parents are not, then the child is not punished because the responsibility there, the greater blame, lay with the parents for not uh, enforcing the obedience there. Um, so the next principle we draw is that instruction, the instruction that parents are obligated to give to their children is to be enforced with physical discipline. Um, if I was not leaving for college, I'd skim over that. But since I'm going to be gone in a couple days, we're going to spend a couple more minutes on this. Um, if you go to uh, Proverbs chapter 22, uh, we see in Proverbs 22 verse 15 that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, 
but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And here we see kind of why this is necessary. And it's the point I made earlier, that children are not born basically good. You never have to teach a child how to disobey, is the common thing you hear people say. Children are born knowing how to disobey. You have to teach them how to obey. Because their heart is bound up with folly. That's what it says there. It's tied together with foolishness. Children have to be taught to obey with a rod, the rod of discipline that drives it far from them. Um, children have to figure out that disobedience hurts and that it's a physical deterrent from them doing it um, so that the family stays in order. Well, that's one of the qualifications for elders was that they're able to keep their household managed and their children under control. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 18 talks about this as well. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Um, your child is unsaved, and it's your responsibility to lead them towards Christ. Now, you can't save them. It's not your responsibility to lead them to Christ, but you should be leading them in the direction of God, of righteousness. And by not disciplining your children when they do wrong, you're allowing them to march unmolested towards death. Um, there's a common refrain today that spanking your children is unloving, and parents should instead focus on teaching about the love of God and being kind to their children. Uh, but the Bible teaches here that physical discipline is used to teach a child that there will be consequences to sin, both now and eternally. And we see that disciplining your children is the loving thing to do. And ultimately, that's what God will use to save your children. Um, in 13, chapter 13, it goes even farther. Um, this is an astonishing statement to some people. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 24 where it says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his child is diligent to discipline him. A lot of parents who don't discipline their children would take issue with that statement, that whoever does not discipline their child hates them. Um, but we see here that hatred and love in a biblical sense are not an emotional thing. You might have an emotional attachment to your child, but that's not really what the Bible talks about when it talks about love. In biblical terms, um, love is, doing, is not an emotional feeling. It's an attitude towards a person where you're going to do what's best for them and try to bring them into unity uh, with God and yourself. Um, and if you don't discipline your children, you're not doing what's best for them and you're not bringing them into unity with God because you're allowing their behavior to stray from God's path without uh, correction. And in that sense, you're hating them because you're not doing what's best for them. Um, to love your children is to do the things that will bring them towards righteousness, towards God. Um, and that involves physical discipline. Um, you may be irritated with your kids when they do something wrong, but you still love them if you're acting in their best interests out of a desire to bring them into unity with God. Um, it's important to discipline your children out of love and not out of, you know, irritation. There's a lot of people who don't regularly discipline their children and the only thing that can get them to do so is just they get so fed up. And the discipline is out of anger and a desire to punish, not a desire to correct and bring back a relationship. Um, Proverbs 3 even says that God disciplines those who he loves. Um, 3.12, we see that in Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Even God uh, disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, we saw in Romans 1 
that the consequences of God uh, removing that love and punishing a nation or a people is that he allows the people to pursue unmolested their own evil desires. When God is loving a person, he will not allow them to pursue their own desire because he will he'll reprove that as it happens. He's not going to let you just walk unaided, uh, unmolested towards that. Um, when God punishes you, he actually does. He allows you to pursue your own evil desires. But um, the word here, reprove, is more broad than just the word for punish. Um, it also carries, it encompasses correction and rebuke. You don't just punish, you correct. You show them why they did was wrong. Um, you, you rebuke them for it and try to lead them back towards um, righteousness. Uh, we see that in, again in Proverbs 29, the idea of correction as a, being a part of discipline. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 15, where we see this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Um, we see there rod and reproof. So we have physical punishment, which is accompanied by instruction. Um, that is the God-given pattern for disciplining your children. It should always be, uh, the physical discipline should always be accompanied by instruction. Your goal should always be to make the child understand and feel inside, in their heart, that what they did was wrong and evil. They don't want, you don't just want them to not do it because of pain, even though that's a good thing. You want them to understand that what they did was wrong, to feel that in their heart. Your goal is to bring about repentance and a restoration of that relationship with you and with God. You're aiming at the conscience uh, with that instruction there. Um, a child left to shame brings a child left to himself brings shame to his mother, and we see those kind of um, kids a lot. You, you go in the market and you see a child who clearly has not been disciplined, um, and it's just embarrassing for the parent there. They have a child who's out of control, and they have no ability to um, to uh, subjugate that child because he's just um, he runs the house, um, and that's because they left him to himself to pursue his own ways without disciplining him from the start. This has to start early. Um, uh, chapter 23, um, winding up, we're almost out of the book of Proverbs, but we see this, this one seems to almost be aimed at mothers who are concerned about this idea uh, from an emotional standpoint. Uh, 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Rather, if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul, his soul from Sheol, which is hell, or the place of the dead. Uh, you, verse 13 is just bitter sarcasm there. If you strike him with a rod, he's not going to die. He'll get a couple marks. He'll be all right. But rather, his soul may be saved from death. Um, the people who are most concerned about hurting the children are often the ones who really are not a danger to their children at all um, a lot of times. Um, you got to understand that discipline is important and it's not bad for the child. It's not going to kill them. Um, it's not going to leave emotional scarring if you do it biblically with love. Um, it's for their good. Um, but that is important. We do need to, discipline should be done with love. We see that going back to the book of Ephesians where the main text is. Um, in verse 4 of chapter 6. After he tells children to obey your parents in the Lord, he tells fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
We see here that the discipline and instruction is to be of the Lord, which is not needlessly provoking your kids to anger, which in Colossians it says it leads to discouragement. You're not trying to provoke your children to anger. You're not trying to make your children discouraged um, by the way that you lead them. Uh, You need to be doing it in the Lord. You should be doing it lovingly the same way that God leads his church and the same way that God leads you personally. Um, there are, there are a lot of ways that, cho- that uh, parents can uh, provoke their children. I just listed a couple of them, but uh, an obvious one is favoritism. Uh, parents who favor one child over another. There is very little things that can make resentment more manifest in a child's heart than when they feel that the parent favors or loves their other child more than themselves. Um, that's just a cancer to that honor. It makes it very difficult for a child to honor his parent when the child feels that the parent does not love him as much as he loves his brother or sister. Um, well, I would say another one would be unjust punishment, unfair or inconsistent. Um, punishment that's not based on love and a desire to get the child to come to repentance, but it's that's based on how much the child has irritated the parent um, and how the parent happens to feel if their parent is angry. It's done, like I said, out of a desire to punish. Um, that, is not, that usually brings out the, the child will retreat within himself just to try to avoid future punishment. He just gonna, he's going to crawl inside himself and just become isolated. It's not going to provoke repentance. Uh, we see many parents who rarely discipline. That's, that's the way that they'll punish. By, it only comes out after incessant irritation by the child who was just left to his own and he just keeps testing the boundaries farther and farther until finally the parent cracks. Um, punishment is not to be done out of anger. Uh, we, always, we saw that earlier. The rod should always be accompanied by reproof. It's very difficult to lovingly reprove and correct a child when you're very angry with them. Um, from the child's perspective, uh, we see um, a principle that a child, children have a responsibility to honor their parents until death. Um, it says, obey your parents in the Lord, addressed to children there. But the fifth commandment where it says, honor your, honor your father and mother, for this is right, there is no uh, age constraint. He specifically addresses obey your parents to children when he applies the fifth commandment to them. But honoring your parents is something that you should do regardless of your age. It should happen until they're gone and even until you're gone. Um, the fifth commandment has no time qualifiers. You should always honor your parents regardless of how honorable they may be in and of themselves because as we saw earlier, their authority and desire and, and respect that they deserve is not based on how a good person they are, but is based on the God-given position that they have. Um, Now, how do we do that? How do we honor our parents, Um, especially after we're out of the home? Uh, How can I, as I go off to college and then the rest of my life, how am I going to honor my father and mother? Um, We see a couple things. First Timothy, uh, we will see the first one I have here in first Timothy chapter five. Verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Uh, Going down to verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
The first principle we see is um, that you, can, you honor your parents by providing for them in their old age. As your parents age and are unable to take care of themselves, you have a responsibility to provide for your parents um, for their needs until they're gone. Um, we see the same thing in Mark. This is from the, from the mouth of Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees um, are once again attacking him because he is denied, he didn't, he didn't follow one of their traditions um, about uh, washing himself before eating. They had a tradition about washing the pans, all about being um, ritually unclean. But it was not found in the Bible. It was something that the Pharisees had, it just been accumulated over time uh, as tradition. Um, and his response is in Mark 7, verse 8, um, or he starts in verse 6, he says, you hypocrites. He, then he quotes the Old Testament, and then he says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he gives an example of this. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is given to God, Corbin, which is, it's been set aside to give to God, then you no longer permit that person to do anything for his father or his mother, thus making void the word of God by our tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So he gives the example of, they have got, they have pushed away the fifth commandment, the clear implication of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother by providing for them in their own age, in their old age. Um, so that they could get money. So that if you want to donate that money to the church, you don't have to provide for your parents, is basically their argument. And God's, uh, Jesus in God here says, no, that's not the case, that we have responsibility to honor for our father and mother. Um, Jesus did this himself. When he was about to die, as he's on the cross in unbearable agony, um, he looks after his own mother, who is most people believe that uh, Joseph was dead at this point um, because he's not mentioned anywhere. Uh, so we have uh, his mother, who is a widow, more than likely. Uh, and if his son dies, if her son dies, she's going to have no one to, prov- to protect and provide for her. And Jesus realizes this on the cross. While he's about to pass away, uh, he takes time. Uh, in John 19, he says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour forth, the disciple took her to his own home. Just as Jesus is about to die here, he tells his beloved disciple John, one of his closest disciples, that it is now your responsibility to look after my mother. He wanted to make sure his mother was provided for um, because he honored her. He respected and honored his mother in accordance with the fifth commandment because we know Jesus obeyed all the commandments. Um, how else can we honor our parents? Another big one is to speak well of them. Uh, regardless, it's, we shouldn't dro- um, focus on the faults that our parents have, telling um, people about all the things our parents have done wrong to us, how we were mistreated, and how our raising could have been better. Um, we should speak well of our parents. If you remember in the Old Testament, to curse your parents carried the same penalty as striking them. Not only were you put to death for attacking your parents, you were put to death for insolence was the idea here. If you're cursing at your parents, if you are not respectful, you are going to be 
killed just as if you had a physically attacked them. It was just a serious issue. Um, I see that in our own family all the time where uh, we often will get punished more for an eye roll or just, you know, being obeying but with a bad attitude than we will for actually um, disobeying blatantly because we figured out at this point that we're not going to get away with disobeying but for some reason we still think that if we just do a quick eye roll as we go to do what they say, we'll somehow let that slip through. Um, most of the time that doesn't work. But it seems that we still continue to do it, so I guess we're just slow learners. I don't know. Um, so I would say it's important for you to speak well of your, of your parents. That's the that's way you can show honor to them, and that shows honor to God. Now, you might not have had the best parents. Um, no parent's perfect, and some are worse than others. They may have wronged you um, in more ways than you can count. Um, But you're honoring them not because of how honorable they are, but because God tells you to. And it's honoring to God because you're honoring the authority he put into place for you. Um, And that shows shows your love for God and your um, obedience to him. Um, I have one last point to go back into Proverbs for a moment. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. We see this. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And we get the principle here of the wisdom and foolishness of the child strongly affects the joy and the happiness of his parents. Uh, we see this in 17, chapter 17 of the same book, verse 21, where he says, um, He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow. And the father of a fool has no joy. Same thing, verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. I think these verses perfectly illustrate the society we live in today. We live in a culture where children are not wanted. The vast majority of people we have now don't, make it, don't have enough children to replace themselves. Um, Children are sorrow and ashamed of their parents and are unwanted because the children are foolish because their parents don't raise them right. There is no discipline. There's no leading towards righteousness. So we live in a nation of foolish children who are in charge of the household and make the parents' lives miserable because the parents don't uh, take responsibility and enforce um, their rules. Um, But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Children are supposed to be a blessing from God. Uh, we see this in the book of Psalms, wrong way. chapter 127. Um, it talks about the blessing that our children, uh, if they're raised right, we see here. Uh, 127. Verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He should not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are supposed to be a blessing. They should, they should bless their parents. Parents should be more blessed with children than without. Um, that's the principle that we get from that. Children are supposed to be a blessing from God. Why then are they not? Why are children so not wanted and so... Why, did, why, did, why are parents miserable? That's, that's just a, it's almost a meme today, the idea that parents are just waiting for their children to leave so they can get their independence back. Um, they're just, they want their children out of the house. Um, 
I think Proverbs chapter 29 probably tells us, this, I mean, it gives us the solution to this. It says, discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight. He will be a delight to your heart if you discipline your son. That is, those are, that's the consequences of disciplining your son. You will have rest, and he will be a delight to you. If you're faithful in raising your child, they should give you rest. That idea is completely a shocking to the average parent. The idea that your children should give you rest. Most parents do not have restful homes. The average house with children is a chaotic and restless place. And the Bible says that the reason for that is because the children are idiots. They're fools who have not been raised correctly um, because their parents don't teach and enforce the laws of God. If you discipline your son, he will give you rest and will be a delight to your heart. So you just need to look, the application for that is to just see in your own house, are your children giving you rest? And if not, what can you do about it? And that's all I've got this morning. Let's pray.